This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Space Marine Meta. This is a special report from 40K Stat Center. I am your host, Val Heffelfinger, and joining me is your other host, Peter the Falcon. Now, Peter has been working tirelessly over the last two days uh, to quantify some of what you may have already heard, which is the rise of Iron Hands. And this dramatic intro underscores perhaps some very dramatic statistics that I think is very important uh, to inform the uh, 40K competitive community and maybe the conversation about whether or not this is all a little bit much because we do have some influence here, folks. And we're not saying that this is the worst thing that has ever happened to 40K, far from it. We're saying that this is probably a little bit heavy-handed, iron-handed, if you will, and so I'm just going to kick it over to my co-host, Mr. Peter the Falcon, who's just going to deliver some news to you. We are in uh, a meta unprecedented, I would say, in 8th edition. Um, to recap some things I talked about a few weeks back when I did my first uh, Marines overview, um, if you go back even just a month and a half ago, Marines only made up about 6% of lists in the meta. They had a win rate of 46%. Put them along the lines of Death Guard and Sisters of Battle. Um, they were really only beating out the likes of Blood Angels, Grey Knights, and Dark Angels. Um, in that time frame, they only accounted for 1% of lists that could make it to the final round of an event undefeated. Um, and in terms of like their sub-factions, only Ultramarines uh, were at a 50-50 win rate. And it just barely that. If you look right after the Space Marine Codex dropped, everything seemed pretty rosy for them. They went from 6% of the lists to 13.6%, which is the highest we've ever had for any faction. And their win rate bumped up to a pretty respectable 51.77. It puts them at the same place as Tau, which is, everyone knows is a pretty uh, pretty competitive faction. They're always in the, in the top running. Um, if you remove the mirrors, the number jumped up to just shy of 53%, which gets them in, in line with the same vein as Drukhari and Gene Sealer cults. Um, they also, and this is where things were a little extreme, they accounted for 20% of the lists that uh, that made T-Whip that fifth round without the first loss, uh, which was a number I've never seen. To put it in context, uh, the Knight Castellan at its peak was in about 12% of lists and accounted for Imperial Guard and Knight lists having around a 16% share of top performances. If we looked at those first two supplements, White Scars and Ultramarines, they did pretty well that first month. Uh, Ultramarines were sitting at about a 52% win rate, and they accounted for about 40% of Marine lists, while White Scars accounted for about a quarter of the Marine lists and had a whopping 61% win rate. Um, these numbers were all over about 16 events. Uh, it accounted for 
5,300, 5,300 total games. Um, so yeah, things looked pretty good. It was a strong release. I think everyone thought it was very strong, possibly the strongest codex to date, but not overly. So we're talking, you know, maybe forehead or, uh, or head above uh, the others, but like they had some really hard matchups. Like everybody said, they still died like Marines. So you had a really strong chance if you played well. Um, but the last two weeks have seen some pretty drastic changes. Um, in those last two weeks, uh, we've had 14 uh, GT or major events. They now account for 20% of all lists in competitive play, Marines as a whole. And they make up more than 50% of all lists that make it to the fifth round of an event undefeated. Um, that's uh, like completely unheard of. Over half of the lists that go f at least 4-0 and are Space Marines. And Iron Hands, they account for half of these lists. They're a full 10% of the meta, and it makes them now, after the drops in other factions, more common than any other full Codex faction. There are more Iron Hands than there are uh, Guard, Imperial Knights, uh, Eldar, um, all of the Tyranid factions combined. Um, it's pretty crazy. Um, and not only that, they're the most successful chapter with an average win rate of just under 73%. And uh, if you take out the mirror match, Iron Hands versus Iron Hands, since there's so many of them out there, they're sitting at a 78% win rate over these last two weeks. Um, Sorry, on Pete, top you, of that, uh, you broke up just a little bit there. Uh, what's their win rate? 78%. Cool. 78 um, to put that into context, if you compare them to Inari at their very peak, uh, at least while I uh, recorded the data, I, I know there was a point. And where does in, that in, go in back to? How far back are you recording data uh, to? Uh, a year and a half ago. It would have been May of last year. So at the release of the Imperial Knight Codex. So this would have been when Inari were still considered the top dog, but the Castellan was about to roll in. Um, Inari at that time had a win rate in the high 60s or at, at points, so over a two- or three-week period. Um, sometimes to a month, they would be in the low 60s. Um, but um, by the time that they got their index update, which absolutely murdered them, they were down to a 58%. Um, and what was their share of the meta at, at peak? At their their when they were at their peak, when they were in their 60s and uh, you know low 60s to mid 60% win rates, they were about 3% of the meta. By the time they were uh, you know on the outs, they had gone up to six. As more people played them, they actually saw a bit of their their win percentage drop, which is actually pretty common for most factions. Um, to be at 10% like Iron Hands um, and be hitting a 78% win rate. Um, it means that there's nobody really that's 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 bringing them down. I think we had three lists uh, lists over last weekend that actually had less than a 50% rate. Um, the only list period that I've seen with numbers this high and with a similar representation in the meta over any period of time was that kind of brief window when the Castellan with Blood Angels and Guard were absolutely destroying everybody for about three weeks. Um, you know, that would have been when they had their infinite CP um, that they were generating and they, uh, the Blood Angels characters did not have any nerfs to the stratagems as well as knights. Uh, you know, that uh, pre-Nova fac uh, that uh, that first kind of brought them slightly down. At that point, the Knight Castellan, um, and this is just that specific list, not Castellan as a whole, um, it had a 68% win rate. And if you took out the mirror matches, it was an 82 now, that, like I said, keep in mind that's one very specific list with almost no variation. 
these iron hands lists are actually several different templates all performing at a very extreme high extremely high level of play um these and these results are over 230 games um I want to give a good shout out to Euless Sanders, who actually went and looked at RTTs even and saw that they had won the vast majority of those as well over this last weekend. So this wasn't uh, the, uh, while I only do look at GTs and majors, um, this was across the board, something that was happening um, in the uh, in the 40K universe. Um, Marines as a whole now sit at a 59.5 percent win rate since uh, Iron Hands and Raven Guard dropped. So if we look at how the other three supplements are performing, we can see that our, uh, that Ultramarines have dropped to about 20% of Marine lists, and they had a win rate of 46%. Um, so they've definitely uh, fallen off the hill, uh, off the bandwagon here. Um, Raven Guard now account for 17% of lists, and they hit a 51%. And White Scars make up about 13% of the lists, um, with an extremely high 66% win rate themselves. Um, in fact, of the factions out there with any kind of meaningful results against uh, Iron Hands in terms of just raw number of games played, White Scars are essentially the only faction that have a winning win rate against Iron Hands. All right, so the hopes uh, in White Scar's hands. Uh, it seems that way, but that being said, a 65% win rate is extraordinarily high as well. Um, I do have to, you know, put the caveats here because I've been talking to a lot of people online about this stuff. Yes, this is is over two weeks. It's not like we're talking about months worth of data. The problem here is this: these numbers are so high and so extreme um, that I don't think we can really afford to sit on them for three months six months and wait for us to see like oh is this the way it's supposed to be okay um, so so we came in here with an air raid siren i think you know we're just being funny there but i mean honestly you you are breathlessly sharing these numbers and i guess as as to you guys who run a show called stat center it's because these are extremely atypical numbers they're out of kind of nowhere and um they are very much tipping the meta but i'm gonna ask why is that a bad thing so we, um, not everyone, first off, not everyone wants to play Space Marines. Um, so if you look at Space Marine numbers and you look at how everybody does against them, um, it doesn't look good. Um, after the Marines release, we now have three factions um, out there that have winning records against them. Harlequins, Dark Angels, and Necrons, two of which are two of the lowest played factions in the game. Um, one of which is the one that has like the worst win rate against essentially every other faction in the game, that being Dark Angels. Um, I hate to say this, my Dark Angel brothers. I know I've been, uh, you know, a little hard on you guys because you're all a little weird. Um, but but you need to be getting these games in. If you're the only thing stopping Marines, I need to see more of you out there. I'm not sure what you're doing. Maybe it's because you've only played them six times. <laughs> but uh, like it's 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 a pretty harsh world. Um, and if you look at the post Iron Hands release, um, there is only one faction um, outside of Space Marines that are beating Space Marines more uh, more than 50 percent of the time. And that is Dark Angels. Um, but once again, six games played. So it's not like we're looking at a statistically significant amount of data there. Um, it's it's a really rough ride. I know a lot of people are saying that they don't that they're probably going to take a break. Um, it may be a little overdramatic, but at the same time, when you look at something that's this dominant and that takes up this much of the meta, like that you, to the point where you have to expect to play them. Yeah. I mean, 
And that like number's only going to go up. I mean, I, I, what did I say? I said 40%. I called a 40% peak. Yeah, I think you called 40%. I would have, uh, I believe I called somewhere between 25 and 30. I think you are, you may be on the, on the right track that it's going to be, uh, an even higher number than even I expected. We still haven't seen salamanders and imperial fists hit the table. I'm told salamanders are extraordinarily terrifying. We're already seeing it in their previews um, and the quote-unquote leaks we've seen. Mm-hmm. If those are true, if salamanders can get to you, they will they'll roll people. And uh, I mean, imperial fists. Um, there's long been talk from the testers that they're an extremely good turn one army if they can get the drop on someone. So like, it's not going to get. In my mind, it's not going to get better. I think uh, the people that are uh, that are saying that the meta will adjust, um, I don't think this meta adjusts enough um, to deal with the situation, especially especially with the fact that the the Iron Hands lists are so disparate. If it was just one list, if it was like a Castlin where you could you know play a horde into it, or you could make a game plan for most codexes to try and deal with that, I would say a one, you guys, you figured it out, but the Iron Hands lists that we're seeing that are winning are, are all over the place. We've got Flyer Spam. Yeah. Um, Repulsor Spam is definitely one event, as we'll see. Um, there's these uh, Dreadnought character lists that are being, uh, you know, uh, screened out by really hard-hitting close combat units. Yeah, and uh, by the way, all of these archetypes, for the record, are going to be gone into in detail on this show because uh, they all yeah. won stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah, like all of them won. So It's l- not... Yeah, last 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 week, uh, you know, there were I guess eight events that hit our radar. Uh, of them, uh, you know, uh, seven of them were won by Iron Hands or an Iron Hands successor list. Yeah, yeah, the, I believe it was nine uh, GTs and majors last weekend. There was oh, wow. one that was like on the border. Um, but yeah, seven of them won by Iron Hands. Um, if you looked, if you included RTTs, it was like fourteen events, and twelve of them were won by Iron Hands. Um, yeah, like it's. And it, yeah, it's not just one list. It's how do you deal with these these multiple types of lists that you can expect to see. Um, the repulsor one is probably the most common. Um, but that being said, these other ones are probably more terrifying. I would say that the flyer list and the uh, dreadnought list are actually scarier and harder to beat than I, the repulsor one. I do love that you are using the word terrifying repeatedly to describe this. Obviously not terrifying, but for real uh, has a serious list and mathematical advantage here uh, in the meta. And I asked earlier, why is this a bad thing? And I think the reason why this might be a bad thing, I mean, unless all of us really get into playing Space Marines, and let's all admit here, guys, they're pretty cool. Um, you know, it's going to drive uh, a, a lot of, you know, bad feelings in the game when we're in up and, you know, we, we are still in, guys, peak 40K. All right, this, yeah. is a, this is a golden era. And one of the reasons why it's golden era is because we've had a very responsive Games Workshop. We've had a Games Workshop that has, um, albeit sometimes slowly, but nonetheless gotten around to um, finding ways to take the hardest edges off the game, which is something that, uh, that they didn't necessarily tend to very uh, closely during the previous edition, 7th edition. We might have a lot of listeners that never really experienced that. They maybe didn't, you know, they, they weren't around when, uh, you know, um, you know, Yanari first showed up on the scene, 
<laughs> yeah, know, or and, like back fifth edition Grey Knights or sixth edition Taudar. Right. Like there's there's been things for a long time now. I've played this game for you know over a decade. Um, you've played it for longer on and off. Um, like this is what we've seen. And I think this is why I keep using the, the words I use is because I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this game. I'm not sure if anyone's aware of that. I mean, I only spend, you know, 20 or so hours a week uh, mulling over lists, uh, mm -hmm. because of that. Um, and, uh, it's been so good. Like we complain a lot about lists and about, you know, this or that being too strong, but it, overall it's been so balanced in, in uh, up until, right about now yeah or at least you know there's been a couple of horses in the race and yeah. I, I guess if there's a fear or if there's a, a gnashing of teeth if there's a sense of uh, foreboding coming across here it's just that it's really good right now guys let's not um you know i think a lot there's a lot of worry about you know let's let's not um you know overcorrect or something like that Whereas, you know, if we have this kind of extreme result, and I would say that, you know, if the idea is the meta is going to adjust, things I've been saying out there is, look, the meta did adjust. Uh, we have seen some of the best players in 40K immediately make the switch to, um, yes. to Iron Hands and or Space Marines in general, or some really cool <laughs> advanced uh, success for chapter combinations. And um, the thing is there is that if that's the choice... Like that is, I mean, that those are those are the the you know tastemakers of the meta. If those are the best minds and their minds are, we're gonna you know you can't fight them. You got to join them. Then the meta is not gonna necessarily adjust to be able to beat them. I mean, maybe we'll see something develop in the team metas uh, because they'll have to figure out pairings against uh, these these types of lists. But honestly, um, you know, there's there's not a lot of good matchups aside from other marines that we're seeing in these early days. And if that's yep. the case, uh, we're not saying by any means. Uh, I mean, there's already people floating, like, uh, you know, banning the supplement, uh, all this kind of stuff. I don't think that's necessary. I think what is necessary is that feedback needs to be as calmly as possible because, you know, words like terrifying are being used, which is not actually terrifying, but as calmly as possible, communicated with Games Workshop. Hopefully, maybe they even hear this. Um, you know, hey, guys, maybe let's just take a second pass. Let's take some of the harder edges off of this thing. Let's not make marines as you know vanilla as they were out of the gate that wasn't cool either but let's maybe bring this power level down a bit and i think to that to that end um you know in the course of this show um again just about everyone we talked to was either playing um iron hands or a variation of a space marines list um i had uh, everyone uh share their thoughts on you know what they think uh the state of the meta is and uh, more specifically they also all seem to have this idea that, you know, there will be adjustments or corrections coming. And we do know that the, the uh, you know, the, you know, Iron Hands, Raven Guard um, FAQs have not dropped. Um, you know, everyone seems to be quite hopeful and is assuming that that's because, you know, there was a whoopsie and we're going to take the harder edges off of this. And so that's what we're hoping for. Um, uh, maybe just, again, attuning. It took a long time to get Yunari right took a long time to get the Castellan right, but each time that improvement was made, the game got a little bit more open and it got a little more possible for people to, to go out and list build and play what they want to play. And that's that's where ultimately we'd love to see the game stay. And uh, that's the only reason why we opened this with an Air Raid Siren, why, why Pete has probably got blisters on his fingers from hitting Excel spreadsheets. Um, it's just, we you know, please, just uh, let's, let's just take uh, a, a cool... Uh, second thought of this and maybe let's, uh, 
let's make this work and still keep it cool. Keep it cool. And honestly, there's a billion ideas out there. I mean, we've got some great games designers, uh, you know, who run this game. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they could uh, take it down a notch, see how that rides, and we'll very quickly have the numbers. <laughs> if they want them. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully someone out there is hearing this. Um, and uh, and uh, that was, by the way, uh, Pete, I know how hard you worked on this to get this out. Uh, we're recording pretty late on a Tuesday. And uh, nothing yep. but thanks uh, from me for that. And if you're interested in hearing what uh, all the players that you're going to hear from today have to think about this, we did ask them uh, to share their thoughts. And we're just going to line them all up and play them at the conclusion of the show after uh, the outro. So uh, stay tuned if you're interested to hear what some of the best players and TOs have to say about the rise of the Space Marine. So without further ado, that was our 20-minute pre-tro. Why don't we uh, kick this puppy off and give the people their usual Stat Center content. Frontline Gaming presents... 40K Stat Center with your hosts Val Heffelfinger, Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. Some people say the Crucible is a major event in Florida. Others, a timeless classic of American theater. We talk to the top table to find out which which is which. We threw darts at the GW random name generator and got Hellstorm. Sadly, it was already taken by a major in England four times now, so we got in touch to find out more. Is the meta beyond salvation? We found 100 players in upstate New York willing to fight for it, but the answer is yes. Finally, hollow out that cucumber and make some room for a tiny stash of GTs and gene seed. We take a stroll through some quick hitter events and swing by Midcon. Iron Monkey, Seeds of Destruction, and the Harbor Heresy. Well, 18 episodes and we finally did it, Pete. The meta has been solved and the question is wrapped by a fist of iron. Oh my, what a game-changing week it was. A psychic awakening hit the snooze button for about another 10 minutes of this unbridled Space Marine meta. As you may already know from the pre-tro, Iron Hands have sticky fingers and stole top podium finishes from nearly every event. Yes, great job telling the listeners things they already knew, Val. What they might not know is the style, panache, and vigor with which these shockingly dexterous digits did it. In this episode, we'll take you through the formerly pleasant astral utopia, once stocked with a diverse range of Rick Priestley's wonderful creation, now a scorched hellscape, freshly eradicated of all that weak, weak flesh. Surely you'll be tickled bloody by the great variety and ingenuity and the various means that Iron Hands players found to absolutely fist fuck everything you once loved or held dear. And what a delightful group of scamps they are, Pete. I for one welcome our new Iron Hands overlords, mostly because I don't have a choice in the matter and I am a cowardly whelp of a man. But I digress. This is the part where we... Hold on a second. No, Pete, I'm going to do something different. You're going to say something insightful? Absolutely not. I'm going to stop and pander about our show, goddammit. You know, Pete, I'd like to think that this is a pretty fine show that we put together here, and we never stop to say, hey, this is the best damn competitive 40K show that exists. Yeah, I said it. We are the Iron Hands of 40K podcasts. And quite frankly, there are other shows out there that people seem to be listening to more. 
So I'm asking you, if you're listening on a podcast app right now, please hit subscribe. If you're on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and leave a comment saying that pizza dick. Share it on Facebook with your grandma and on Instagram with your high school friends and celebrities that make you feel bad about yourselves. Let's get the word out because I am sick to death of Pavlo getting more listens than us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy there, fella. That's probably because Pablo has been working tirelessly to build a show with amazing co-hosts like Brandon Grant, Starry, probably Sean Morgan. I mean, just on their last podcast alone, you could have heard some great conversation about how Iron Hands are devastating and we're all basically screwed. And there's also cool Patreon prizes. Yeah, I guess that's true. But what about Art of War? How the hell are they beating us? Well, they did have Brandon Grant on this week as well. What the hell is with this guy? Okay, besides Brandon Grant, whatever his name is, what the hell does Art of War have? Uh, Nick Notabody. You're kidding me. No, Val, you are the joke of this podcast. God damn it, Falcon. If I didn't need you so badly, I'd just call this 40K Center and go it alone. But who cares about them? At least we're not as salty as Jason on Signals from the Frontline is. Every week, live on Twitch at 11 a.m. PST and wherever podcasts can be found on Fridays. Yeah, but Signals from the Frontline is an institution that has been a beacon of hope for competitive 40K for a generation of grimdark gamers. Reese was out there spreading the gospel of tournaments before cell phones had phones in them. If we got to 600 episodes, we'd be well into our 60s and probably sound even worse. You know, Pete, sometimes when you tell the truth, it hurts. It it really cuts deep. I suppose what they say is true. What's that? The flesh is weak. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. It's time to dispense with the theatrics and get down and dirty. Of course, what could be more filthy a location to start mucking about in than Sweden? Okay, bad analogy, because we're going back to Fantasia Fanatic, folks. One of the first events ever covered by our young podcast is back for their 36th edition, and I am again reminded of the ceaseless march of time. That's right. Fantasia Fanatic in Umea, Sweden, Nailed is it. an amazing event that has been held twice a year since before the second place finisher was born. I'm pretty sure that's actually true. The event was 96 players strong and used the modified ETC format that they've come to know and love. 96 players in Sweden works out to an event roughly the size of Rhode Island in American terms, so this is a pretty big deal each time it comes around in the calendar. Let's kick it over to local hero T.O. and Fantasia proprietor Andreas for some details about the event. Hi, my name is Andreas and I'm the T.O. of Fantasia Fanatic in Sweden. Uh, This was our 36th Fanatic tournament. Uh, We started doing the tournament back in 99 and from that on we've been running it more or less twice a year. I started Fanatic as part of an old Games Workshop program for retail stores, as I also am running an independent Games Workshop retail store in Sweden. So it's been a good way to build and maintain the hobby locally, uh, just giving the players a chance to start and finish new armies and actually get around painting them. 
Uh, we have people traveling from all around Scandinavia uh, and over the years I'm really pleased to see that it's actually one of Sweden's biggest and oldest tournament events. As I said, uh, we are attracting people from all over Scandinavia and um, this time around we had I think 10 ETC players from Finland and Sweden. So I would say that we have a lot of competitive players uh, and this time not surprisingly, Space Marines and especially Iron Hands stood out among the different armies. But I'm also really pleased that we have a lot of different players joining the Fnatic for different reasons. Uh, I would say maybe half of them are competitive players and half of them are ca more casual players. And that with over 100 players, we have a great mix uh, with people joining it for, for winning and people who is just there for having a fun time, aiming for the... Best Intro Award or maybe the Fair Play Prize. I think the two things I'm most proud of about the Fnatic is the atmosphere during the weekend, which I feel is really casual, even though we have ETC players and competitive players around. Uh, and, and it's really open for new players, so even if you haven't played that many games before, you can join the tournament and have a nice time. And actually also the terrain. I think it's uh, good terrain and it's uh, looking really, really good. If you'd like to know more about the tournament, you can always drop by by fantasianorth.com or search for Fantasia Fanatic at Facebook. Other than that, I'm just thank you for having me and hopefully I will see some of you listening to this joining the Fanatic in the future. Thank you. Following four rounds of hard-fought play, there of course could only be two. Well, it's Europe, eh, so it was Battle Point, so it's more complicated than that. But for the purposes of this show, there could only be two. Slingin', Sammy Keenanen, and Menelik the Menace Erickson, whom we heard from on this show when we covered the last Westeros event. You may recall he sounds like Reese, but doesn't get in trouble for hanging out near high schools because he goes to one. Menelik? The last time we heard from him was running Gene Steeler Colts and did well to get to a 4-0 record and yet the top table again. Let's take a quick gander at that list. So Menelik was running a, a Gene Steeler Colts battalion. The first one was mixed. He had a four-armed Emperor Magus, a Pauper Princess Patriarch, and uh, three units of Brew Brothers. In that same list, he had a four-armed Emperor Kellermorph in the battalion. Um, he then had a second battalion, this one straight Popper Princes with the Deliverance Brood Surge Specialist Detachment. He had an Accolade Icon Ward, a Primus, um, a squad of uh, 20 Hand Flamer uh, Accolades, of which four also had Heavy Roxas, so he was combining the two most scary things in that list, in my opinion. Um, he then had another squad of 20 Hand Flamer Accolade Hybrids and a third squad of 20 Hand Flamer Accolade Hybrids. He then uh, rounded that uh, battalion out with a Clamavis and a Nexus. And finally, he had a Tyranids battalion that was Kraken with Broodlord, the Swarm Lord, two squads of 18 Gene Stealers, and a Ripper Swarm. So yeah, this is a pretty hard-hitting list. I don't have much to say about it. It's got uh, you know, fifty, or sorry, sixty hand flamers in it, so um, he can uh, drop bombs over and over again if he really wants to. And that single squad with the Roxas is going to do work if it needs to, um, backed up by the uh, the slingshot gene stealers. With that, let's hear from the man Menelik himself about his list choices this time around. 
Basically, the main thing about the list and the army would be that I can fight wherever I want and I can always do it very efficiently. The big difference of the inclusion of Tyranids would be that it gives me board presence turn one, well, turn one and it's a great uh, screen clearer. And if I want to, I can save them for later and do uh, a bunch of things turns five and six and all of that. I wouldn't say that I have a specific uh, MVP. Uh, the Everything works really well together. Uh, but since the actual units that do most of the work in this list uh, are the Acolytes and the Steelers, I'd say that it would often be one of those, depending on matchup. Sammy, on the other hand, is a veteran of numerous ETC teams and excels at cross-country skiing and target shooting like all people of his country. That's right. Sam Sammy came in from Finland for this event, and he brought with him some frightening new tech. And I'm going to read it to you in a frightening way. It was an Iron Hands army, of course, 2,000 points exactly on the nose. It starts with a spearhead detachment, an impeccable ETC format, by the way, um, led by Iron Father Pharos. Uh, he then had three Thunderfire cannons, um, and then uh, two hunters with hunter-killer missiles. He then brought another Vanguard, he brought a Vanguard detachment with a Primaris Lieutenant, uh, who was the warlord, warlord and carrying the Ironstone, he then had a Dreadnought with Twin Laz Cannon and Missile Launcher. Uh, and uh, another one, uh, exact same loadout. He then had three Invector Tactical Warsuits with uh, Fragstorm Grenade Launchers, um, Iron Hail Heavy Stubbers, and Iron Hail Auto Cannons. Um, he then had uh, uh, three Impulsors uh, with the Iron Hail Sky Talon Array as the uh, upgrade on there and two Storm Bolters each. Uh, finally, he brought in an airwing uh, detachment of Stormhawk interceptors with Icarus storm cannons, Skyhammer missile launcher, and two assault cannons each. So, with all that said, normally we would uh, look to some Balmots from uh, Mr. Falcon. However, uh, Sammy has some really, really great insights here, and uh, I think we're just going to kick it straight to him. So, about army construction, firstly... I just want to maximize on the value units. So I'm looking at units with a lot of wounds and a lot of firepower for the points. So in my list here in uh, Fantasia Fanatic, that would be the Hunters, Invictors and the Impulsors. And uh, well, Impulsors actually, they're a really amazing unit and a lot of people are sleeping on them. But uh, after I got all the value units and a lot of wounds in the list, then I just look at the specific jobs that I need to do. So my main opponents, they would be Craftwood Elder, Iron Hands, and Gene Stillers. They have excellent Gene Stiller players in Sweden. And uh, for those specific jobs, you would need specific units. So against the Gene Stillers, Tyranny's matchup, you need a strong screen. So I picked three Stormhawks, three Impulsors to play the screen with the flying units. Uh, as a Craftwood Elder player in the ETC, <clears throat> I know how, to, how many units you, you would need, and I, I figured... To be absolutely safe, I wanted to have six. But then I would also be playing against Repulsors, Imperial Knights, everything Toughness 8, and the Space Marine Codex is filled with a Strength 5, Strength 7, Firepower. So I wanted to have a couple of last cannons and a couple of uh, missile launchers. So that's where the Dreads came in to play, and the Hunters, obviously. And uh, lastly, uh, the Impulsors, they, they just do everything, you know. Uh, many of the Iron Hands players 
I figured they were going the repulsor way. And uh, I didn't want to go that way because I wasn't sure of the terrains. Uh, in a standard ETC setting, you have a lot of large L ruins, but in the Fantasia Fanatic, I figured they could have tables with a lot of open terrain or just visually striking terrain, but not so, uh, not, not as line of sight blocking, you know, not, not as impactful terrain, so to speak. So there would be open games with a, where the first turn could dictate how the game goes. So obviously I didn't want to have any weak spots in the army list. And a repulsor is actually, in my mind, a weak spot, because that's what you would be targeting on. And um, in the game against Daniel, uh, he had one repulsor, and it wasn't as impactful as he probably thought it would be, and it wasn't that difficult to take it down to. And Robert, Robert's Iron Hands played two repulsors, and I took both of them down. In, the, in my mind, the, the Iron Hands list is best, uh, best built when you go... Just play to the strength, which means play safe. You know, get a lot of wounds, get a lot of vehicles, uh, deploy them smartly. You know, half of your guys can go behind line of sight blocking terrain and the other half would go to Ferris's invulnerable save bubble and the invulnerable saves. Um, I mean, the, the Ironstone saves. I'd like to think that the MVP unit for the Iron Hands is the Stormhawk Interceptor. Uh, when the Codex first came out, and I mean the Codex Space Marines, I guess a lot of people felt that at 159 points, it's a bit expensive for 10 wounds, needs to keep moving all the time, takes all the penalties. But when the Iron Hand supplement came out, we saw that, hey, this guy doesn't take any penalties for moving. It's independent because it rerolls to hit on its own and it shoots 18 times and it's durable. You can deploy it in the Iron Stone and in the Invulnerable save for the alpha damage, or you just go first and you just kill everything and you'll keep your minus two to being hit from fly units. And it brings utility to the list by being a screening unit, being a mobile hunter. It just does everything and it's, it's a cool model too. And as we like to say on Stat Center, it's not the destination that's important, it's the journey that plays in the car on the way. Let's hear from the fellas about some of their highlights on the way to the top before either of them had to stop believing. Uh, I think that that would be in my second game and my most interesting game during the tournament. I was playing against Ultramarine's successors, which is an army I have had difficulty against before. The highlight of this game is when my opponent had given me first turn, and he had deployed his aggressors on the line when we were playing quarters. So I revealed the blip closest to him to be Acolytes and just walked up and killed all of his aggressors, um, which is a great trade uh, in that match for me. Uh, it was the first time I'd had uh, charge with a GSE unit, uh, turn one, and uh, I was as uh, baffled as my pro opponent was. It was really fun for us, fun to see. There were a lot of great moments in this tournament. It was a fantastic experience. Uh, all of the Swedish players are such gentlemen, and even though they're tough competitors, nobody's ever complaining, nobody's grumpy, you know, everybody's having fun. Uh, I guess the memorable moments were the two Iron Hands mirror matches. You know, I didn't get to start in either of them, but I still won both of the games 19-1, and um, that felt good. Um, mainly, I, my list was just better designed for the mirror matches. Uh, like I said previously, the, I didn't play Repulsor, so I was a lot tougher against the Firepower. The Stormhawks were insane, as I predicted, and... Um, I, I could just take over the board with more models, more wounds. 
And so we find ourselves without any more outs. It was time for Menelik and Sammy to dance. Youth versus experience. Yesterday's really good list versus today's LOL GG list. Here's how it played out from both of their perspectives. I played against Sammy, a Finnish ETC player with Iron Hands. And to be honest, it was pretty anticlimactic top table. Uh, it was the first time for me playing against Iron Hands, but after talking with a few ETC players at the event before the game, the, we all agreed on that I had no chance of winning against uh, the Iron Hands. They just do too much. So, uh, what I, so what basically happened was uh, I did absolutely nothing turn two and three, and then I just died with my army. Uh, one interesting thing was when I purposefully placed four objectives in one corner instead of making it short, make sure it would be three in each. This was me gambling to try to get, or try to squeeze out a couple of points in this battle point tournament. Otherwise, I want to say uh, congratulations to Sami for winning the event and placing really well. Taking 98 out of 100 points is really impressive. The final match against uh, Menelik Carl, uh, Eriksson's uh, Gene Steel Cult was a was a bit of a lackluster game because uh, the terrain was to my advantage in a lot of ways and <clears throat> I could build a perfect screen with with my units and uh, even though he got to start the Swarm Lords Gene Steelers uh, wouldn't be able to hit anything behind my flyer and uh, impulsor screen so uh, I could just keep them on the outside for the whole game eventually on deep uh, on the turn three everything had to come down on the wrong side of the table basically and uh was easy to just uh, take them out menelik is an amazing player uh we had so much fun and uh papa d hesselberg you know he calls menelik the sweden's brown magic you know and i i, I don't think it's uh, unwarranted you know he's a talented player and uh i told him that uh Playing Gene Stiller Cult is probably the best way as, at uh, developing your skills because you're learning about all the diff difficult mechanics about the game at an early stage. I mean, he's so young, in eight years he'd be only 24 and he's, he'll be a grizzled veteran and multiple ETC veteran. I'm, I'm sure he'll win a lot of GTs too. Uh, like I said previously, Menelik didn't have a, a real chance against me in, in the final match because of uh, how the terrain was set up. And uh, like I said previously, how I met, how I uh, met at my army against Gene Stillers and took the six screening units, I could I could just do the super safe deployment where the swarm lords Gene Stillers won't be able to touch me on turn one regardless of who starts, and because of so much reach from my flyers, and the double shooting thunderfires, and I had three of the thunderfires, you know I would just be able to delete the Gene Stillers turn one regardless and then just play safe from there, wait the deep strikes out, and clean it. So there you have it, folks. Sammy wins the 36th installment of the Fantasia Fanatic with a near-perfect score of 98 points. And while we have talked a lot about how strong his list was, ultimately we think that sells the skills of this player so very short. To close out our coverage, we'd like to turn things over to Sammy one last time to discuss a bit about the approach and extreme preparation he puts into the game between heaping mouthfuls of pickled herring. An insane amount of work goes into preparing for these big events. I mean, you only get one shot every year and um, you, you just want to do your best. The ETC in particular here in Europe, it's humongous. And uh, I know 
Team Finland and our competitors, everybody puts hundreds of games over the course of the year to, uh, to prepare them. And these are real games, not just turn one and finished games, but real, real matches with real players on top tables to just do everything we can do to make ourselves ready for the, for the big test. You know, and we'll do it again this year for next year's ETC. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is Nick Nanavati from Knights of the Game Table Pro, where I teach you how to become a better 40K player. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center. From tasteful and reserved Sweden, we turn to Florida, where the only thing that's reserved is tastefulness. Yes, we go to a land of Everglades, swamps, and John Lennon's house. A land where once there were no GTs, majors, or elevation above sea level, and now there are things like Crucible 8, a full-blown major with 69 players in attendance. Yes, exactly 69, the official number of Florida. We caught up with Reggie Sanchez, the head judge of the event, to give us some actual details that aren't just being mean about the place Canada sends all its old people to die. We're trying to be gentle here, folks. Reggie is also a Dolphins fan. Crucible started as a war machine tournament, 40K was introduced in year two. It's now focused on all tabletop games, board games, and RPGs, with 40K being the largest event uh, that we currently have. After attending for three years as a competitor, um, I was asked to be the head judge uh, for my uh, competitive view on setting up the missions and the tournament. And I felt that this was my way of giving back to the community. Most of the players at Crucible are drawn from Florida, with a smattering from Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia participating. Florida meta is usually strong with Tau, GSC, Chaos, and now the new Marines. With names like Siegler, Lennon, Perry, Martin, Fernandez, and Parker in the meta, it's very tough to place at any event where they attend. It is a blessing to have such great players in the meta to help lift your game because you have to play to their level, thus improving your game. Crucible would reveal itself to be one of the front lines of the new Marine meta and provides us with our first all Astarte stop table. On one side of things, the charming Daniel not from around here Arya Smith versus the quite obviously from around here John Lennon. Daniel would enter the tournament with what, with what one day Pablo will certainly call a standard list, semi-gatekeeper-ish even. So Daniel brought a spearhead detachment of Iron Hands with Iron Father Pharos, three Repulsor Executioners, and then a second spearhead also of Iron Hands with a Primaris Lieutenant, three Thunderfire Cannons, and then he rounded it all off with an Iron Hands Battalion with a Captain on Bike with the Ironstone a Thunder Hammer, a Primaris Librarian, a five-man Intercessor Squad with Stalker Bolt Rifles, two five-man Scout Squads, and an Ironclad Dreadnought. Ooh, Ironclad. Yeah, running Double Fisto. Yeah, I think he actually talks about it in his clip, so we won't talk too much about that. But I just want to say, Secret Tech, putting the Ironstone on a bike. Yeah, there's not much secret about it. It makes it easy, harder to kill with snipers and is just an all-around super cool dude with an extra wound. My mind and is, toughness. My mind's being blown. All right. Well, 
Uh, why don't we pass it over to Daniel, who can tell us even more about this list and its intricacies. Hey, Dirty Finger. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I'd say the only special approach I really had was my Ironclad. I made him a character and pretty much just took him in case I ran into Assault Centurions. Uh, that damage 4 really helps just chewing through because every failed save is a dead Centurion. And I figured I'd be seeing those before the end of the event. But other than that, I mean, it's Iron Hands. Is it really going to get that unique? No. It's Executioners or Dreadnoughts. Like, you're just going to blow stuff up. So I'll definitely say uh, my MVP uh, is the Thunderfire Cannons. I had three of them in my list, and a lot of people say that's too many, it's, it's redundant. But honestly, they're so efficient at just killing scouts, brimstone whores, anything that's hiding in a corner. Um, it get, gets you a guaranteed kill early, so then you can just focus on removing your opponent's assets. Uh, most people would expect me to say the Executioners, but let's be honest, they did what they're supposed to do. They're incredibly durable, incredibly uh, offensive they're just great units, so that's the obvious one. I like to try to go with the one that's really um, actually helps you win and really gets you in a good position. So my MVP was definitely the Thunderfires. And of course, this brings us to John Lennon, wearing his customary white linen safari suit with sweat-drenched handkerchief dangling from the browned edges of his shirt pocket. Mr. Lennon descended into the fray with the following list. So John uh, ran a White Scars Battalion with two, count them, two chaplains, three scout squads, all, one of them running the combat knives, and uh, the rest running them lovely, lovely bolt guns. He then had a, another White Scars Battalion with a captain, uh, this time with the jump pack, storm shield, and thunder, captain, uh, thunder hammer, a librarian in terminator armor with a force stave and storm bolter, Another three uh, uh, scout squads, all of them with combat knives, and then two Centurion assault squads of five menos each. They're just running the flamers. He did not uh, bother with the hurricane bolters on them. And then lastly, he has a Iron Hand Spearhead Detachment. They are a successor chapter with Master Artisans and Stealthy. He has a Tech Marine for his HQ, two Venerable Dreadnoughts with twin autocannons and twin LAS cannons, three Eliminator squads with the triple bolt sniper rifle, a Mortis Dreadnought with two twin LAS cannons, and a Thunderfire cannon. You know, a uh, little bird told me that I think this list can be tweaked a little bit more, but it very well might be one of the best lists in the meta. Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrifying. Um, just I've talked about it a few times, even at the top of the show. Uh, this combination of the White Scars uh, heavy-hitting frontal assault with this backline Iron Hands uh, character dreadnoughts that just aren't going to be touched for essentially the entire game. Um, it, it deals so much damage. It's got a really good counter to the, the most prevalent Iron Hands lists because uh, for the most part, um, your repulsor lists and your those like gun line style lists from Iron Hands are never going to touch those dreadnoughts until it's way too late. So they can just sit in the back and they're re-rolling with the Master Artisans. They, If need be, he can have his captain chapter master it up and provide even better support. It's uh, it's just a really, a really scary list to deal with. Um, I'm sure John will talk about it a little bit, but um, like the matchups I've seen with people playing just even slight variations of it have been just wrecking balls. Yeah, uh, he actually does touch on a pretty intricate little movie pulls uh, using some of those pieces. But first, let's hear a little bit from the master John Lennon himself talking about his concoction. 
Hey guys, I built my list of for Crucible kind of as a reaction to the Iron Hands meta. Um, I had originally started off after the White Scars release with uh, large Centurion blobs and tank commanders as well as the Admech Scorpius tanks. But once I read the Iron Hands book and, you know, looked more at the Repulsor data slate, I kind of decided that getting into a shooting match was just futile. So I ended up going with the character Dreadnoughts as support for my Iron Hands. It was a little bit of shooting that was going to be a lot more consistent because it wasn't going to just get outshot by going second against Knights, other Marines, Guard, uh, Riptides, those type units, but would give me some pretty consistent firepower throughout the game. Um, that and the board control of uh, 30 scouts, all the characters I had in the two cent squads proved to be a really good combination for me and kind of let me control the pace of all six of my games this weekend. My MVP unit from this weekend was absolutely my Smash Captain uh, or the Snare Captain, Snatch Master, whatever you guys are calling him now. Uh, the ability to pick two Warlord traits as well as a Relic before the game made him incredibly versatile. Um, every game he got his points back. Uh, I mean, he killed a Disco Lord, um, he hugged a lot of units with the snare um, against Richard Siegler. I managed to get him in combat on turn one, and I left him in combat for nine consecutive fight phases before he finally got punched out. But the whole time he was just pinballing through the army, holding guys down and preventing him from getting his full shooting power into me, which really played a key part in helping me win the game. Um, and then the same thing against Daniel Smith, I uh, sent him into the backfield and he really performed well for me and got me a lot of points. The two would celebrate many highlights on their journey through five games to the precipice of Floridian 40k immortality. However, only Daniel would have one as lolzy as what follows. I had probably two highlights. Uh, the first one was in the Executioner Mirror match. Um, I actually seized on my opponent, and he had put his Pharos inside of a Repulsor to get the drop count on me, so he would get the plus one. He got it, I seized, now Ferris is inside a transport, he doesn't have an invulnerable save. So I actually managed to kill two repulsors in one go. It was just ridiculous. My second highlight, uh, and probably the actual better play instead of just a seize, um, I was fighting against Mark Perry, who's an incre incredibly good chaos player. Uh, he had declared just a tech priest as his charge target for his uh, plague bearers, not blood letters, his plague bearers when they deep struck in. Um, so, of course, I overheat my plasma pistol, or plasma weapon, whatever it's called, um, rolled the one, blew myself up, he didn't have a valid charge target, now I got three executioners, and he's got plague bearers sitting wide open. So, obviously that went well for me. After dispatching five other players to the AOS shelves, these two genuine Brohammer bros would find themselves eyeball to eyeball. Only one would later include it in his reel of highlights. My favorite moment of the tournament was probably also the turning point of the final table game against Daniel Smith. Um, on my turn three, I Kool-Aid manned some Centurions through a wall and managed to charge and kill a Repulsor. And then with the Consolidate and then me fighting twice, I was able to actually tri-point the Captain on bike who was holding the Ironstone. And what this meant was due to the size of my base, he wasn't moving and he had to fall the Repulsors back from combat, the survivors and this meant that they were more than three inches from the Ironstone, and while he was able to eventually kill those Centurions, um, I held one of them up long enough to keep the Chopper Master from consolidating, and then in my turn the Repulsors were still more than three inches away from the, the Ironstone, and then I was able to put the last cannon to it and finally shoot a Repulsor to death, rather than just hitting it in combat a bunch of times. Now that there is some low land sleight of hand.
and we sincerely congratulate John on his big win this weekend. Before we return to where the sun doesn't shine, we thought we'd let Daniel have the final word on what he thinks the meta will have to do to react to the new marine meta. And my final say on just the meta in general and how the uh, Iron Hands and Space Marines will affect the meta is a lot of people are bringing uh, what I call attacker lists um, where they want to just remove as many models as they can. They're playing to get kill more, etc. The triple executioner list does that the best. If you're playing an attacker list and you run into the executioners, you're not going to have a good time. So a lot of armies will need to adapt and change to the defender list, like uh, Richard Siegler's Tau. Uh, the Space Marines John Lennon was playing was very much a defensive list. Uh, you have to build for durability, uh, be able to use terrain to hide, and, and honestly play to hold more and max your secondaries. And if you can do that, you can beat the Iron Hands, but it's, it's tough. Um, and obviously the only person that did it against me was uh, Lennon on top table, so I'm sure he'll tell you more about that. Tournament news. This is Colin. This is Mitch. This is Chuck. And we're from the Best in Faction podcast, and you're listening to 40k Stat Center, where one host has a really strange nickname, and the other one's called the Falcon. Michigan, where the water is orange, the economy is in ruins, and people take vacations from their own personal Armageddons to play pretend in a fictional one. That's right, the Michigan GT came out swinging this weekend, boasting 118 of the top, well, of the let's possibly good players in North America, vying to see just who could be the first real American hero to win an event using Space Marines. All the other events that had done it previously were pretenders. Everyone who is anyone knows it takes true skill to do anything in Michigan, like breathing without the use of your mouth. We kid, we kid. Breathing through your nose is super hard after years of rampant cocaine use. Here's Bill, Mr. Kim Possible, the TO, with his take on how the event shook down. So the first question, background on the event. This was the seventh year of the Michigan GT. We've been running it since 2013. We got it started because we were looking to create an event in Michigan that we would have wanted to attend. There really wasn't anything like it going on. Um, you know, a bunch of us had been attending events like Adepticon and those kinds of events for a while, but there was nothing in the state, so we decided to start one ourselves. Most of our players come from the state of Michigan or from one of our neighboring states, so most people would be within a six-hour, seven-hour drive or so at the most. We did have a number of players coming from as far away as the East Coast, um, New England, Maryland, and then going west, I'm not quite sure exactly how far away people are going, but um, a number of players also coming from Canada, but that's not as impressive as it sounds since we're right next door. Thanks, Bill. You keep on trucking, my friend. Now, the Michigan GT is not your standard ITC or even ETC affair. Instead, choosing a custom mission design that includes player-placed terrain, tactical objectives, and their own take on player-picked secondaries. Would a completely different mission format take down the feral beast that is the Codex Astartes, or would all these wacky hijinks mean nothing under the Emperor's gaze? If you guessed that the Emperor's new groove would tap dance all over the Great Lakes state, you'd be correct. When the lights went dim and the bartender yelled for last call, there were two men facing off for greatness. Thomas, I painted these last night Ogden, running Iron Hands, and Jason, dashboard confessional Snigowski, with his Raven Guard. So Jason here, he brought a Raven Guard successor with master artisans and long-range marksmen. His, uh, he had a battalion with a chaplain uh, with jump pack and a librarian with jump pack and force axe. 
two squads of five infiltrators, a five-man scout sniper squad. He then had a spearhead battalion with the same successor traits with a captain in Phobos armor, a squad of uh, five uh, heavy, uh, uh, five uh, devastator centurions uh, with grav cannon, cannons and hurricane uh, bolters. He had a repulsor executioner, two thunderfire cannons, and then he had a vanguard uh, with the same raven guard successor with a librarian in Phobos armor, two squads of assault centurions, uh, this time a squad of three, and uh, a, an Invictor Warsuit and a second Invictor Warsuit, both with the 12-inch Flamers. Okay. So are you seeing a uh, anyone favoring more the Flamers versus the Autocannon? I've, we've seen some stripped-down Invectors so far tonight. Uh, um, in general, most people are running the, the Flamers. I think that there is an argument for running the Heavy Bolters with uh, Iron Hands or with Imperial Fists where you're more apt to kind of sit back instead of playing them uh, on the line, which is what a lot of people are doing. They're kind of frequently just popping them on the line and saying, here, deal with this right now. Um, but yeah, the Flamer is kind of the go-to. That 12-inch range is pretty tasty. Okay, rather than going straight to the players, we're just going to introduce Tom's list here, Tom Ogden. Uh, he is running, obviously, Iron Hands. Uh, the first is a battalion detachment. It's led by Iron Father Pharos, a librarian. Uh, and then in the troop slot, we've got an infiltrator squad. That's four infiltrators. Uh, and then two scout squads, uh, just with uh, bolt guns. And then we have three Redemptor dread Dreadnoughts. Uh, uh, two of them have the Macroplasma Incinerator and Onslaught Gatling Cannon. Uh, one of them has a heavy flamer and the macro plasma incinerator. Uh, then we have Thunderfire Cannon in the heavy support slot. After that, we've got a spearhead attachment. This one is led by a lieutenant who is the warlord. And in the uh, heavy support slot, we've got Relic Leviathan Dreadnought and two uh, Repulsor Executioners. And that brings us up to date with Mr. Ogden's list. What do you think about all that, sir? Eh, it's Iron Hands. It's Iron Handsy. It's uh, definitely Handsy, just like Mr. Ogden himself. Well, why don't we hear from him a little bit more about that? Hello, my name is uh, Thomas Ogden. I just played Iron Hands at the Michigan GT. Uh, my list was uh, Iron Father, Pharos, uh, Librarian, two Scout Squads, an Infantry Squad, uh, three Redemptors, a Thunderfire Cannon, uh, Lieutenant uh, Relic Leviathan with the uh, Storm Cannon Arrays and two Executioners. Um, one of the questions you guys asked me was, uh, is there anything special about my list? I have to say not really. It really emphasized on uh, maximum firepower. The reason why I chose to build a list like that is because a lot of what I've been seeing when lately have been focused on like hyper durability list and board control. So I really wanted to have a list that could deal with that and really beat them at their own game. I just really wanted my army to uh, have the ability to push up uh, on the board no matter who I played with and gave me a chance to uh, just control the middle, especially in a GT that put a lot of focus on Maelstrom missions and objectives. Uh, which unit was my MVP? So what unit was my MVP? If anyone else, else looked at my list, they probably would have guessed my Leviathan or Executioners, but in all honesty, I'd have to say the Redemptors would be my choice for my MVP. Just got back to 40k after about a five-year break. I don't see a lot of people really liking Redemptors right now, at least in my uh, area. 
Especially, but I don't understand because when you put them in Iron Hands, they're they're really good. They can be super durable, especially when you have the Forge Father near them, or if if you still have CP left for stratagems, they hit pretty good in the shooting phase, and they hit even harder in the assault phase. My favorite moment of the uh, Michigan GT, uh, they were absolutely vital in. I was playing on a table with a lot of terrain, and my opponent had a list with quite a few beat stick characters in there. And he was doing a good job of keeping them out of line of sight and uh, in ruins. That way I couldn't shoot them. But I knew I knew at uh, around turn, turn two I had, uh, I had to draw them out, so I, I put a bait up there. I moved up my uh, gun line, and I placed him to where if he would have moved his maximum distance on his turn, he could get about a 7-inch charge on my entire front line. And the way I had my uh, my gun line placed, it was, it was like a repulsor with a redemptor slightly in front of him, then a leviathan next to that, another redemptor, then a repulsor behind that that next redemptor, with all my characters like uh, tucked in between all of them. That way, they're pretty much impossible to get uh, a charge done. And uh, I just remember when I did that, my opponent looked at me kind of weird, like he didn't understand why I just gave him the, the charge on my gun line. But uh, so he did. He moved up there. He moved up his characters, got his infantry in there. Got his charges off. Pretty much everything got into uh, into assault. But due to the minus two for uh, the Redemptors, and it was pretty much like a nine-inch charge, a lot of them got into my Leviathan and Redemptors. A couple things made it into my Executioners, but not much. And uh, that's when it really started taking uh, going to work with them. The first thing he did is he uh, declares his uh, Chaplain. It's pretty souped up at this moment, doing like four damage, lots of attacks. Declares into my Leviathan because he definitely wanted to try to get that out of the game because it was... Uh, Pretty scary to his list. Uh, he declares when he's hacking everything into Leviathan. I pop the stratagem duty eternal. And with Leviathan still within range of the Forge Father and the Lieutenant, it made his attacks pretty much like he was like hitting with a wet noodle. I was able to survive it quite easily. I then interrupt him with a Dreadnought, and I purposely base two of his other characters and one of his infantry squads where they couldn't slingshot into my executioners with his pylon move. Uh, finish up the assault, his assault phase. Uh, end up doing more damage he did to me. Uh, going to my turn, I back up my executioners, do some repairs. I fire everything but my executioners into what was standing there. I then clean up what's left by assaulting with the dreads, and it was quite devastating, actually. Uh, probably the key moment of that game. Um, and not only they good that game, but they're, they contributed every other game as well, whether it's screens, assaulting, or shooting. Well, first off, I'd like to say thanks for the congratulations. I did do fairly well this weekend at Michigan GT. Not quite as well as I would have liked, but um, I have been playing Marines for uh, many years. They've been a very great, durable army. They do have many answers to a lot of common themes in the meta, but this new codex brought about some really great ideas and um, a lot of trials, a lot of test games uh, with uh, Emperor Chester. Um, both of us had some really interesting insights into high-performing uses, or high-performing units and uh, and their uses. Um, we came to the table initially with two different ideas, and those ideas kind of evolved into his list that he ran and the list that I ran at Michigan GT, which was all Raven Guard. The, uh, the high-performing units for me, um, against GSC, the winners were the infiltrators they shut down gsc like nothing nothing else in the game can um they were able to push the units back and keep all the deep striking units off of me for enough time and um that was just an amazing quality for them um the centurions obviously which everyone's been playing with uh for most of the games did their work but uh i found that the uh 
Raven Guard Phobus Captain with the X Tenebris was uh, probably my favorite unit throughout the entire event. The uh, that relic sniper rifle just really was able to put down some really nasty characters, and it really uh, really tilted the uh, the games in my favor most of the time. Uh, the Michigan GT like. All other events, uh, the reason I go is because of the people. Um, I get away, and I get to have a whole bunch of good games. I love the competition, but more than anything else, I love the people. Um, my favorite win of the weekend, or favorite moment of the weekend, was uh, when I was playing Daniel Sansone, uh, round four. Really high-pressure match, because Daniel's won some big events lately, and he made a minor mistake with his GSC and he played a gambit to try to kind of come back in turn three and really hit me hard. But the gambit was too weak and uh, I was able to table him boots on the ground. He had nothing left on turn two. So game was over and neither one of us really even expected that to happen. It was just, it was an amazing. My favorite match of the GT, uh, that would be a tough one. I had uh, two really good matches I enjoyed. One was against uh, Stephen Pamprine. Uh, it was in round three. He was, he's an excellent player. We were both playing Iron Hands, even though we had uh, extremely different list, and both of us had different methods we were trying to win the game with. Super close game, to where we pretty much put every mission objective down to the middle. It took like ten minutes after the game of adding up, and it was just close, super close, and uh, really enjoyable. Neither of us tried to be that got you type of mode player. We both uh, talked everything out, didn't need any judges at our table, and. Uh, now both Tom and Jason put on excellent performances going into the final round, and were playing pretty disparate strategies for the win. Tom looking to hold firm and gun down his opponents while weathering the storm, and Jason using lightning-fast maneuvers and positioning to take it to his opponent. But at the end of the day, Thomas would come out on top, after Jason's dice went as cold as an arctic back-alley handy. Let's hear how the game went down from the players themselves. Um, the top table match was, uh, it was initially in my favor, and I really felt that I had a good good chance to beat uh, the Iron Hands player, Tom, um, on the top table. But when I went into turn two, I honestly failed everything that I tried to do. Um, it had nothing to do with Iron Hands. It had nothing to do with his list. It had to do with the fact that um, I failed my litanies. I failed three out of four powers. I failed almost all my shooting, not because of his saves or anything like that. It was just a dice error. Um, I failed some massive charges that turn, and it just the, the game just went downhill from there. The only casualty I caused that round was, the, was a Thunderfire Cannon. Um, I still think if I would have made two of the sent charges, I would have uh, won the game. But uh, overall, that round went to Tom, and it was a good opponent. It was a good game. If I had to choose one game out of those two, that would be my favorite match. It would definitely be the final game on the top table versus uh, Jason Stangowski. It's a really enjoyable game as we both played uh, very gentlemanly. There was no got-you moments again, just like I said earlier with Stephen Pamperine. But we both played intentions to win, but to make sure it was a friendly game the entire time. At one point, uh, Jason deep-striked one of his Centurion squads and said he had his intention was not to place him in the woods. But a few moments after that, we realized that he was in 12 inches of one of my uh, infantry squads. So he readjusted them. Goes into his assault phase, and then we notice that one of his turns is actually touching the terrain. And instead of like, oh, got you, and, you know, my studio is charged, we just readjusted him because I knew what his intentions were and uh, kept it going from there. 
Later on in the same game, um, I tried moving my lieutenant behind a building and declared I was trying to hide him from his uh, captain who had a bolt that I could snipe him. And then uh, we rolled some dice a little bit later and they got stuck between the lieutenant and the piece of terrain. So uh, I picked up my lieutenant to grab the dice out, put the lieutenant back down and didn't realize I didn't put him down perfectly like it was before and, and now technically his tip of his uh, sword was sticking out. But instead of uh, Jason being like, oh no, I can see him now, he was like, hey, actually I know what you tried to do earlier. Go ahead and just rotate him real quick and make sure his sword's uh, tucked in again. And then it was just that type of mentality the rest of the game. It was a really good uh, change of pace, especially like early in the tournament. I had a player who pretty much uh, raged at me at the end of his game and uh, basically called me out for playing Iron Hands. And I, I just loved the game. It was full of tactics. Uh, Jason was the first player of the entire tournament that uh, moved in a way that forced me to separate my castle and, and, and basically try to get all the objectives. And uh Nearly won him the game, but uh, fortunately for me, uh, Dice was just on my side and uh, was able to get a pretty uh, devastating victory and uh, allowed me to win the GT. But it was a very fun game and uh, really hope to play him again in the future. Thanks, guys. That about wraps up our coverage of the Michigan GT. Let's let Jason have the last word as he wanted to plug another event that's on the way. And, of course, there's the uh, Glass City GT coming up the first weekend in January. Um, this is an event that I've been running for five years. I look forward to having anyone who is willing to come down. We do have a capacity of about 100 people. We got uh, we filled up last year, and it was a great event. Had some big-name players show up. And as usual, we have a really low overhead on that, so there's a lot of great events, uh, a lot of great event prizes, and uh, we look forward to having anybody that's willing to travel down. They can go to the ToledoGameRoom.com to sign up, or they can check out the Facebook page, and the information is all there. Tournament news. Hey, Big Nasty B and RoboEd from Life of the Cover Save Comedy Games Podcast, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. It's kind of cool, I guess. Hey, from an actual hellstorm, we turn to a fictional one. Into the Hellstorm 4, held in Sutton and Ashfield, UK. Sutton and Ashfield, a name also created using the GW random name generator, is not to be confused with neighboring Kirby and Ashfield, or nearby Mansfield, or Chesterfield, or Sheffield. Local children are often disappointed when parents mistakenly take them to play games in Workshop, rather than Games Workshop in Nottingham, just to the south. But seriously, this event was hosted at the Sanctuary, which is a converted spooky church, likely guarded by an ancient sect sworn to protect the exact location of the Holy Grail. If you ever wanted to mix a little LARP with your 40k, this is the place, and we really encourage you to check it out if you're a local. It's really cool and seems to have a pretty lively scene. We assume this incredible venue is what drew the intrepid and rising YouTube sensations over at Hellstorm Wargaming to Sutton and Ashfield to run their event. But we'll let old Mikey do the talking on this one. So we first ran our, we ran our first event in August 2018. It was like a one-day event. I think we ended up having 40 players. Um, which was really good. Uh, we, that was ETC format at the time, but then we had Into the Hellstorm 2, 3 and 4, which were all weekend events at 64 man, um, which in the UK is rather large, I suppose. Um, we've run, so we had three this year. We had two at 1750 single faction. Um, so we essentially said you, you'd be limited what, what you could super together. Uh, similar to how SN Battleports do their events, but then we ended up following the ITC uh, faction limitations. Um, and then this one that's just gone into the Hellstone 4 was a 2,000 
2000 point wide open normal ITC uh, event which was really good against 64 man which was uh, super fun uh, which had we which had like new players in uh, it also had uh, regular hard hitting names um, the meta was quite interesting it was definitely different from the, the last few events so the in, uh, into the hellstorm 2 which was 1750 single faction we had Manny Chima win with uh, Tau and then into the hellstorm 3 which again was single faction which was won by Jay Middleco with Knights and then this time it's been Iron Hands unsurprisingly uh, with Mike Porter um, but we've had lots of people travel around all over the country, new and new players, uh, well-known names, and also uh, we had a couple of people come over from Amsterdam. So really, really good, really good vibe, really good weekend. Of course, you may recognize Mikey's voice from Hellstrom's outstanding coverage of the LGT a few weeks back, and you should definitely go check it out if you'd like to remember a time when the meta was only 10% Space Marines. However, we're here to talk about Into the Hellstorm 4, and that's already way more times than either of us would ever want to enter a Hellstorm, so let's get on with it. The event fell just slightly below major status and was a five-rounder using the ITC format. The event's eventual winner should not be surprising for two reasons. Mike Porter won it, and he was using Iron Hands. So Mike Porter was, as Val so graciously said, running Iron Hands, um, this time he's got a spearhead detachment with Iron Father Pharos, two suppressor squads, three repulsor executioners, and then a second spearhead detachment with a Primaris captain, this guy holding that Iron Stone, three Thunderfire cannons, and then a third spearhead detachment with a Primaris lieutenant, two Eliminator squads, and two Whirlwinds. That's it. It's just a friggin' shoot everything from out of line of sight, gun line of death. Sounds uh, rather UK meta to me. Let's uh, find out what Porter thinks about it. The tournament itself was absolutely class. Uh, Mikey and his team at Hellstone Gaming put on a great event. Every single table I played on had really good terrain and it had a gaming mat and the whole event ran smoothly. I've got to give a special shout out to the chef of the event who was cooking this authentic Jamaican food and it was amazing. Uh, I had five great games against really good players, so big thanks to Jay, Dave, Paul, Mark and Simon, thanks for the games lads. So with the list I went with the triple executioner build, so that was fairly standard. Uh, I did put in a lot of indirect fire instead of planes and also included two units of suppressors and two units of eliminators. The thinking behind this was that I was concerned that certain lists could just hide in cover with powerful combat units and stop me from being able to move up the board, so I wanted a way to damage them. Suppressor's role was mostly to deep strike and harass backfield units and possibly snipe out a character or two. MVPs were surprise surprise, the tanks, uh, but the suppressors and the eliminators were consistent performers and provided the solution to a lot of the problems I faced during the game, so I was really pleased that I took those. So my final game was against another Iron Hands list, uh, it was a successor list which had the stealthy and the double wounds remaining traits, uh, but this time the list was using lots of flyers and the good old Leviathan Dread and a couple of Grav Centurions thrown in there as well. Um, we had a chat for the game and we kind of agreed that whoever went first would win the game and I lost the role. Um, so by the start of my turn two, two of my executioners were dead, my chapter master with the Iron Stone was dead, so I was pretty much up against it. Um, fortunately I had a really good turn two, I killed two of his flyers and a move block to the third so that it was going to crash in his turn three. That was a massive big turning point in the game. Um, and then my suppressors came down, 
cleared his backfield, and the eliminators killed his characters, and then the sort of final nail in the coffin was one of my whirlwinds revved up and charged his Leviathan, stopped it shooting, and then I just cleared everything else up in the next few turns. Congrats, Mike. We guess. Tournament news. Hey, everybody, I'm Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. New York, New York. The sprightly town just north of Yonkers. Seriously, what kind of drugs were the founding fathers on with these names? Well, whatever they were, I wish I had some just so I could forget how many times I have to say Iron Hands in this episode. Ed Miller, Bobby Synod, and the Battle for Salvation crew out of this ridiculously named town put on a party just shy of 100 grown-ass boys, albeit some of the heaviest hitters in our little hobby. We'd name them, but this podcast doesn't have space for that much ego, so we just have to give you the top four and hope we don't recreate up in our studio. Let's first hear from Bobby about the event. Battle for Salvation is a gaming club here in Westchester, New York. We began in 2006 in a city called White Plains. We are now in West Harrison. Our club is located just north of New York City, and we put our first GT together in 2010. We had about 50 players, and now we're up to 100. We're a local gaming club, uh, not a store, so it's a completely volunteer effort. Events like our grand tournament and, in the spring, our Northeast Team Championships helps to support our club financially. Our grand tournament draws players from the Northeast mainly, uh, the tri-state area, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, as well as uh, Massachusetts and as far down as the Virginia, D.C. area. This year, the armies were a mix, but we did see a lot of iron hands at the top. Uh, Nick Rose, as well as Nick Nanavati, Alex Fennell, um, Andrew Gagno. Those types of players were running Space Marines, and for good reason, they're really powerful. Uh, the opinions kind of varied also at the tournament. Many of the elite players played iron hands, so that may be a sign that the army is very good. Others also said that those players would be on top either way, depend, depending on the army, but many of them would have been there to begin with. I guess we really do need to set, uh, see the meta settle and wait for all the other Space Marine releases before we make judgment. Uh, but I believe GW is going to improve uh, other armies rather than just nerf Iron Hands. But we'll have to wait and see. And you can edit this out if this is not what you want, but uh, we do have a... Uh, tournament in April. It is the Northeast Team Championships. The winners won a ticket to ATC last year and vice versa. ATC winner, uh, the I think it was the Gentle Hogs, they're coming to BFS this year. Those players got free tickets to the BFS Northeast Team Championships. It's going to be April 18th and 19th this year, 2020. Um, you can get tickets at our website, which will be up soon at battleforsalvation.com. Thanks, Bobby. We'd never edit you out. You're a goddamn saint. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So how did one of the toughest lineups the East Coast could produce fare? A number of people said that this would be the event to watch if you wanted to know what the meta is shaping up to be in our brave new world. And just like one would expect from our new world state, they did not disappoint. It's just shy of one in four players brought our new Space Marine overlords to bear, and still boasted a 59% win rate at the event with them. All right, well, here's your top four. Nicholas Nine Toes Rose with Iron Hand Successors. 
Mark the Hurt Locker Hotel with Iron Hands Flyers, and the only guy who would talk to us. Andrew, he's Ganyo, Raven Guard successor. And Sean, watch me whip, watch me nay Naden with Eldar, Dark Eldar, and Harley Kins. You know, that was a particularly inspired nickname, I must say. Iron Hands again take the top two spots with a Raven Guard successor snatching third on the podium and Sean Naden's janky Eldar list bringing up the rear. Sometimes life gets in the way, and frankly, not even Thanos himself could stare directly at Nick Rose's head, so let's hear from the only guy who won't try and square off with us in the parking lot over silly podcast jokes, Mark Hertel. My main goal with my list building was to make a mobile Iron Hands list that could hold objectives and move around the table at a fast speed so I could hit my enemy where they're weakest. That's why I used a lot of the planes. I really enjoyed running the Stormhawk Interceptors. They were really fun to play with. Um, they're really good for their points, and especially when they're run in an Iron Hands detachment to get the full Iron Hands Doctrine buffs. Um, but they're really tough to kill. They kill other flyers really easily. They have a ton of shots. They were just a blast to play with. I really enjoyed them. They were definitely my MPV, M most value. They were my best unit to play with. My favorite game of the tournament was against Sean Naden in round four. I really enjoyed playing him, and we played on stream, and it was a great game. It was really bloody and brutal. Managed to What really turned the point on that round was when Sean had a six-inch charge to one of my birds. Um, he managed to make the charge on a six, but then he re on a four and a two, he re-rolled the one to try and get more of his Shining Spears into combat with it. But he ended up rolling a one, failing that charge, and then I was able to just shoot all the Shining Spears dead. Well, there was one left, but they were pretty much out of the game at that point. The turning point in round five was when uh, I lost the Iron Father Pharos to a Tech Marine in combat after about uh, after about three, four rounds of combat between um, him fighting a chap, his Warlord Chaplain. And the Tech Marine, I eventually lost him, and then I ended up getting bootsed because I, I had nothing left on the table. Thanks, Mark. And congrats to Nick Rose on his win. Congrats to Mark Hurtel for being swell. To Jack Harpster for not winning but doing his best. To Sean Naden on rolling a 2 into a 1. And to Mustafa Mond for keeping the peace. I hear the Falkland Islands are nice this time of year. Let's get a bump. Tournament news. I'm Stephen Ford, aka Juice from Team Battle Brothers Podcast, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. All right, Pete. It's like 1 million o'clock, and I'm going to need to do something we've not attempted since our earliest episodes to spice up the finale. It's time for the quick hitter segment, and I'm going to play some music. You can't see it, Val, but I got jazz hands on the go. We're doing this, fucker. First up is Midgon. 48 players out in Denmark. It was run by Thomas Dornan. Hey, Val, tell the people what he won with. What's it, Ironhands? It was Iron Hands. Also, see if you can hear all the stereotypical European street sounds in these clips. My list was three Polsk Kusners in a spearhead, 
together with a lieutenant and I brought a battalion with a chapter master and a baron and three times scouts and a vanguard with two Invicta warsuits with autocollants uh, two veterans, uh, Iron Father and a Thunderfire Warband, which did really, really well. Hello, my name is Thomas. I was the recent winner of the Midcon tournament in Denmark. Uh, maybe it was a GT of 50 players playing the ETC format. So uh, even we do ITC scoring and, uh, for, for points and the IT rankings. It was an ETC tournament because the Danish meter is oriented around a lot of ETC playing. They're quite good at ETC in recent years, and many of the players were actually ETC players. So it was quite a rough tournament with I think five or six ETC players participating, as, as well as a lot of local players from the rest of Denmark um, coming into the, this tournament. Five rounds tournament using a 20-0 score for each game and the meta in Denmark maybe can of course is influenced so, given this scene we of course uh, try to, to practice quite hard for the ETC qualifier so the team that wins the ETC qualifier gets to set the team for the next year I will not go to ETC I've been to ETC many, many times now five times in a row and uh, so we are starting up the next generation of players to, to come along. Uh, there's a big uh, change of, of people there. Um, I still wanted to, to practice to do as good as, as possible for the qualifier. Therefore, I brought the Space Marines. Uh, I brought the Iron Hands because meeting the Colts are obviously quite quite strong. I wanted to see how they could do. Also, as well, how we could counter them when we were facing them in the, in the team tournament. Uh, I had quite short time to uh, make the list, so I actually made it in half an hour and all the models. Uh, so I ran uh, three repulsors, uh, executioners. Feeling like a monkey is on your back after this show? Well, it better be an iron monkey, because Dane Sainsbury takes this lovely 32-player GT in picturesque Auckland, New Zealand with iron hands. See what he did there? Do you see what they're doing to us? Hey, it's Doug here from the land of hobbits and elves, New Zealand. We had Iron Monkey last weekend, hosted by the fantastic David Gregg at Mighty 8. I played on easy mode and ran a non-optimized Iron Hands gunline with two whirlwinds, a thunderfire cannon, two repulsor executioners, two standard repulsors, five scouts, two units of five infiltrators, Ferios, a chapter master, and a lieutenant. The list really speaks for itself. The only bit of flair was the infiltrators to screen against a potential GSC matchup. A bit of, a bit of advice for anyone wanting to run a similar list beware, it is really boring to play. The tournament had myself face off the first against a very good looking Raven Guard army run by a very good looking Andrew Bartosz, which I managed to take out. He ended up second, and third was Knight slash Blood Angels run by the best singer I know, Get Down. James Brown. A big thank you to my opponents on the weekend, and thanks for having me on. Keep up the great work. Woo! Do you want more? Yeah, I can feel it.
How about some harbor heresy in Washington State somewhere? Because you gotta know that Zachary Nelson went hard in the paint against the best 28 in the state. And you know what he ran? Was it hands? Well, punch me in the dick and call me Sally. Yes, it was. So the core of my list is a pretty typical Iron Hands Executioner build. Um, it makes up about 1,200 points of the list. Uh, the way I see it, you know, after three Executioners, uh, you know, any more like direct fire is going to have pretty quick diminishing returns. So I tried to address other problems that the Executioners couldn't with the remaining points. Uh, so the first thing I did was three Thunderfire Cannons. I think every Marine list should start with three of those. They're incredible. Uh, and then for holding objectives, I went in and put in some land speeders. Uh, they weren't great, but my goal was to have something that wouldn't die as quickly as scouts and just give up free kills. Uh, and it was a little faster to run out and grab objectives. I also put three units of Eliminators in the list. Uh, the idea there was to take care of a, a pesky character that uh, has caused me problems. I was specifically thinking of the uh, mech with the Relic Shock Attack gun, but that didn't come up in this event. Holy shit. Stop the music. Stop the music. What? What? What is it? This tournament. Seeds of Destruction in Wales. 36 players and... And what? What happened, Val? Joe Malum won with Gene Stealer Cult. Oh, what? Um, so essentially what the list does is um, it gives you more of a board presence against some of the armies like Iron Hands and the new Space Marines. Um, because not only do you have the turn two and three combat threats in the army from the aberrants of the rock swords and the flamers and stuff, um, but the mining lasers give you something that you can rely on in the later turns, um, not only to hold objectives because of the sheer numbers of models that you're going to have on the board, um, but also the fact that um, with the with the buffs from the sniper on the bike, um, as well as the mining lasers and webbers and stuff, um, it basically lets you pick off threats from a range which is something that Gene Steeler Colts actually have a lot of trouble with. Um, so not only can you take care of the initial screen of the army with the combat threats, um, it also allows you to, to push back if they manage to deal with your, your turn two and three units. So um, should we tell them that Iron Hands came in second and third? Shh. Take your soma, Val. Go to sleep. Say something that'll make me feel better. Bye bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. I don't necessarily think that the Space Marine release is bad for the game, I just think that it's too much of a jump from where we were, kind of like jumping straight into the pool instead of dipping your toe in first. Uh, if you compare it to Psychic Awakening, it really feels like Eldar got all the same style of rules as Marines, they just are not getting them in the same quantity, where every Marine army is now slapping five different Universal Special rules onto every one of its units, Eldar is still getting one or two. Um, I really think that they, they probably do need to address a couple things. Iron Hands especially, but just top to bottom, it feels like the Marines are going to be very hard to balance until the rest of the game catches up, so I kind of expect that's how the meta is going to be for a couple months. Um, fortunately, if you play it, Power Armor. Unfortunately, if you don't. Well, 
not really. I don't think that Ultramarines and White Scars and Raven Guard are dumb. I think they're all really, really good armies that are top tier and can perform really well, uh, but they're still pretty balanced. However, Ironlands are not pretty balanced, and I think they need a fix. Uh, they absolutely get too much for too little, and yeah, that's basically it. I personally believe, personally believe uh, that this is the worst thing in Ace Edition so far. Uh, I think they rival, if not beat, the both the Kassenland and the Nori. Uh, and I understand how this might sound from me, just having lost to uh, a Iron Hands list in the finals, but that's just how I see it. But... I guess time will tell. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, in regards to Marines, um, the Marines are the poster boys of 40k. They've always been one of my favorite armies. Um, the Marine armies are very strong. Um, I would consider them probably upper mid-tier, if not top tier. Uh, but when I say that, I am excluding Iron Hands and Salamanders. I believe that they need some toning down, and um, I believe a fac or two may be able to fix those problems. But for a few months, we're going to have Marines with their moment in the sun, and it's nothing worse than we've seen with Yanari or Castellan list before. Um, and it's really a good thing for Marines, and it's a really a great boost for them. I like to see them where they're supposed to be, but... Um, Outside of Iron Hands and uh, possibly Salamanders, I don't think any of the Marine lists are unbeatable. I people, I think people are going to need to change up their lists and their way of thinking to make their the new ideas work. I really believe that Space Marines are really strong at the moment, but we need to see what else GW releases. I don't think that there's any need to panic at the moment because. What's really going to happen is that GW is re-releasing all the codexes, so I think they're going to be seeing some massive power creep for everyone. And when everyone's just as strong as the Space Marines, well, the game is going to be a, in a very interesting place. But I really think that what we're seeing right now is just the growth pangs of 8.5. And then when we get through all the other codexes, something else will be new and overpowered, and something else will be we'll, we'll all be worried about. And the Iron Hands. <clears throat> well... We definitely had a strong showing from the Iron Hands. Our top battle score came from an Iron Hands army. Iron Hands were definitely well represented in the top armies, and they did really well. I think it's a bit early to say that the sky is falling or a let it ride, but based on uh, the what happened this past weekend at our event and at other events, I wouldn't be surprised if the community starts getting concerned about the dominance of the Iron Hands. One thing about the Iron Hands is I think that we're definitely going to be wanting to keep a close eye on whenever Games Workshop does release a fact before we decide whether the sky is falling here. With regard to Space Marines uh, and the game as a whole, I think the newest Space Marine books absolutely break the game. Uh, the results just this weekend show that Iron Hands totally dominated. Uh, and I think with Raven Guard, we see a different kind of problem. Uh, we see a return of a mechanic that Games Workshop specifically removed when they changed the way Alpha Legion work. And I see uh, a lot of players would line up against Raven Guard with a lot of Vanguard vets and uh, go second. And, you know, that would just be that. It's just a, a big feels bad. Space Marines, are they a good thing? Um, well, yeah. Uh, Space Marines are great for the better. Uh, I love the way the Codex plays. Um, 
the supplements that they brought out are fantastic. Um, you can see all the different synergies in amongst each supplement with the codex, and I really like the different play styles that they bring in. But uh, the Iron Hands, they just—I think they've just gone a little step too far with a couple of the characters and the relics and uh, abilities that they give out. So I think if they if they get changed, there'll be another good addition to the game. But at the moment, they're just a couple of billion power levels too high. Um, based on my experience, do I feel if the Marine re- release is a good thing or a bad thing for the game? I mean, as of right now, I think they are a good thing. Granted, like I said earlier, I've only been back in the the game for a few months now after quite a long break. But I definitely think the Marines have some weaknesses, but they, they bring a lot to the table. Uh, right now, they're just running rampant in tournaments, like everyone's saying, because they're so new and players haven't decided what they should bring against them or uh, how to beat them. But the book just brings so many different options, and the fact that we have this this army that's just taken lots of tournaments, but they're all different, I think it's fantastic. And I'm just excited to see what they do with books like this in the future, especially if they uh, start giving some pretty good rewards for being monocodex again. I really miss those days. So uh, I think it's a good thing for the game, and uh, it's going to get even better. And then overall, do I think that uh, the new Space Marine release is good for the game or bad for the game? Um, honestly, it's incredibly powerful. Uh, I'm hoping that when they release the Iron Hands FAQ, they kind of lower the power level on some of this stuff, especially the Iron Stone. Because uh, let's be honest, the the numbers don't lie, and we saw, what, 50% of the field, it felt like 100% of the field was freaking Iron Hands just everywhere, at not just this event. This event was actually kind of low compared to some of the others we saw. I think one had eight players, seven of them were Iron Hands, at least ours, like our top four was two Marine players and two that weren't, but um, unless something tones down or every other codex gets a big buff, it's not going to be a fun couple of months. Yeah, the, the Iron Hands hit has been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, a lot of people have been moaning about it. <laughs> a lot of people have been uh, shouting again, as you said, like the sky's falling. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I myself, as um, I'm a long-time Space Marine player, so it's about time they were winning some events, am I right? <laughs> um, I think the meta needed a shake-up because everyone's sick of seeing Eldar flies at the top. Um, maybe this has gone a little bit too far. Um but I'm not sure. We'll, we just have to see because, like, Salamanders and Imperial Fist might change things up. But, um, yeah, Iron Hands are here to stay, so we need to build accordingly. In our gaming group, Brohammer, the sky isn't falling, but everyone's adjusting, either joining Space Marine ranks or figuring out a way to counter them. I will say that watching a triple repulsor list kill 150 orcs in two turns did cause some pause. Iron Hands definitely needs an adjustment to bring them in line, whether it's nerfing the Iron Stone to just one vehicle or uh, points adjustments to a few of their characters. Um, I think we can bring it in line to, so that the meta isn't shifted too bad. Uh, I think the Space Marine release was uh, a lot, lot more impactful than people thought. Uh, I played against Iron Hands with my Craftworld Elder already before the Iron Hands supplement and lost. And everybody felt they were insanely strong because of the Chapter Master, uh, the new reroll system, all of the units being point sufficient. But the supplements just put them completely over the top. And um, that's where we are now. We are in the Space Marine meta. And uh, that's it. But I don't know if it's a bad thing. Uh, 
it's been a long time coming, you know, and a lot of different armies have dominated the meta before. And we've been in this meta now for two or three weeks, so let's just see how it plays out, I guess. If the rumors are correct, uh, the Imperial Fists are looking insanely strong against vehicle-based armies. And likewise, the new Elder are getting a... Well, looks like they're getting a power-up as well. And damage as a whole is going up. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because if games are decided early on the first turn, that's probably going to be a bit disappointing for a lot of people. But uh, if, if, the, if, if the power is going up, codexes are creeping, the only thing we can do is just hope it stays that way and it, this isn't an accident and the next codices are weaker again. And, and, and then we're just left with a couple of armies that will just dominate forever.